Hello once again. Welcome back to PFL, your post-Gator Bowl edition, your post-season edition. I'm your host, David Ubbin, here with my co-host, Joe Rexrode. Joe, we have uh, both made it back uh, home from uh, Jacksonville. You made a little pit stop in, in New England. I'm, I'm told that game was uh, was interesting for the uh, a few more Tennesseans. Uh, the Gator Bowl, just as dramatic. All in all, a good weekend to be a, a football fan in the state of Tennessee. Um, I, I've written a lot about the Gator Bowl in the, what, 72, whatever, some hours since. Um, but when you, when you with the, with the uh, gift of perspective now, a few days past, what was, what was your major takeaway uh, from that game and, and, and from what it means for, for Tennessee? That's a great question, David. Um, you know, I, th- I think I, I have to go to the quarterback situation. Um, you know, I think that definitely the game was – it was a, a dramatic win, a feel-good win in the end. You have to admire Tennessee's ability to persevere through all kinds of mistakes because I think Tennessee was the better team all along. We saw that early in the game when they weren't capitalizing. But the quarterback situation, because when you get done with a season in a game like this, you immediately look forward. And, you know, we've talked about this. We'll talk about this a lot more. Jared Garantano, that was not – a. That was not like a big momentum game going into his senior season. Uh, now, he did finish the game, made some big throws late. They won. But it was, a lot of the game was um, a little bit of a, of a regression to September Garantano. And so I come away from that game. I... I I feel the same way I did before the game, and I think I'd feel the same way if he threw for 400 yards in that game. It was great that, you know, next year they want to do, you know, everything they can to win next year, and he's going to be, I think, the starter, but they also, I think, have to have an eye toward that position in 2021. How you do that, I'm not sure, um, but I think this was another reminder that, you know, Garantano right now has been a good player, um, but if you want to really do big things, you've got to play better than he did in this game and than he did for a lot of this season. That's a very long one takeaway, David. Well, no, I agree with you, but I think, you know, for as roundabout way as Tennessee took to get there, at the end of the season, you're kind of where everybody thought you were at the start, that even though Garantano certainly disappointed with the way that his 2019 played out, big picture, even though uh, you know, he had some really good moments in there, you know, you look at, at Brian Maurer, the guy that people want to see a lot of the time, his numbers for the full season, 46% of his passes complete, two touchdowns, five picks, a bunch of injuries. Um, I think you're back where he started in that, yes, Garantano has limitations. Yes, he drives fans crazy a lot of the time. Uh, he can win you some ball games, but he's he was consistently late, made some really questionable decisions. Uh, held on to the ball too long. He was, um, you know, the the all the things that make people uh, angry about him, he did in the Gator Bowl. But I think you're back to where you were, which was they don't have a better option. Is Harrison Bailey that guy? Does he walk in day one and and uh, announce himself as a factor? Uh, he'll be in er- enrolling early. He'll be in the spring. I mean, maybe. But I think the more likely scenario is I, I don't know that I am convinced that they're going to have anything close to a, a better option. Uh, I think we saw a lot of the games, and I think Maurer had some moments. Certainly the one against Georgia jumps out. Uh, Garantano, you know, I think a lot of folks um, 
Russell Westbrook is not the greatest example of this, but I think a lot of folks focus on what he does poorly, and maybe not as well on, or not as much on the things that he does uh, well and and can do for you, um, because you know you saw Maurer in that game, and and he he was threatening to make things a little bit worse, um, even if he did lead him on a uh, scoring drive, and, and maybe he offers you a little bit more with your with his legs. We saw the games, but when you you talk to coaches uh, and they you know talk privately and publicly about the practices, it is not close. Uh, Garantano is the best guy, and certainly he kind of forced their hand early in the season where they they had to give those guys a shot. But those guys, you know, more so Maurer than Shrout certainly got their shot, and I, I was shocked that Maurer's numbers for the season uh, were that bad because you know Jared Garantano has that rep as you know the checkdown guy. Eight and a half yards of attempt for Garantano, 7.2 for Maurer. An attempt, not completion, attempt. Garantano, twice as many touchdowns as interceptions. Maurer, obviously, two and a half times as many picks uh, as touchdowns. Those numbers, you know, support a lot of those things. And, and quarterback rating, of course, 104 for Garantano, 102.8 uh, for Maurer. Uh, I think, like I said, it, it, Fans wanted to get on the Maurer bandwagon. He did some some good things early in the season. He made some good reads on RPOs. But big picture, there's just not another option. Yeah, look, I mean, Maurer, and, and I I think Maurer, we saw, like you said, he, he drove, he led a scoring drive. He made one good throw. He also tried to throw a couple picks on that drive. We <laughs> saw hard, him. Yeah. He tried very hard. Uh, you know, he, he uh, you know, we saw in the Kentucky game. I mean, at that point, I don't think there's any question. You know, Maurer had given them a spark, and when you compared that to how Garantano played early in the year, I mean, I thought at the time it was the right thing to go with him. But after that half at Kentucky, you kind of knew it's like this just isn't working. Then of course Garantano comes off the bench and just it wins that game, and then you know the rest of the of the season was history. I mean, that was his, and he really ran with it. Um, but I still. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm keeping an open mind. I think Vols fans should try to do the same on this whole thing, because a guy like Maurer at, at his stage, I still think he has a lot of ability. And again, I just think sometimes, you know, an off season like this, you can see big, big gains in, you know, a lot of the uh, mental aspects of the position, which of course are very important at that position. And like you said, David, with Harrison Bailey, it's just we have so many examples of. The hot shot, true freshman quarterback coming in and just being obviously the right guy. And sometimes it's circumstance. You know, Jake Fromm, he's only the starter at Georgia because Jacob Eason got hurt. But then it was like, oh, yeah, you're not moving on from this guy. He's just better. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you've got just the absolute, no doubt about it, guys like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, who just win the job quickly in the season. You also have a lot of guys who. Him, yeah. yeah. And, and then you've got people who absolutely have to have that year to just adjust to college and adjust to all the things that come with this. So keep an open mind on Harrison Bailey. It could go. It could be the whole range, um, and it just may end up that it's just. I still think more often than not, the the quarterback at this level of football needs that redshirt year, and maybe that's a little bit old school thinking. But I even look at. You know, Justin Fields, look at what he was for Ohio State this year. Um, and then, you know, he couldn't get on the field as a true freshman for Georgia. Granted, Fromm was playing very well, but just that year seems to really matter a lot for a lot of guys. Uh, so, mm-hmm. 
and then it, you know, then it gets into. I mean, it's just going to be interesting because Garantano. I know it's still going to be tough for him with Tennessee fans. I think with a lot of them, I think a lot of Tennessee fans would like to see a change. Would like to see something new, and this bowl game sort of reinforced that. Even if some people were changing their minds, so there's going to be that aspect here for Garantano. But even if he plays well and overcomes that. Again, I feel like if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you have to have a little bit of an eye toward 2021 um, and try to, you know, do, try to weave in the one or two young guys um, next season. It's going to be an interesting – with the quarterbacks, it's just always such a balancing act now because the, the transfer portal and quarterbacks are just made for each other in college football right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I think – they, they, it's very obvious that the quarterback position, that what they had this year, it was not good enough for them to do anything of substance. Uh, whether that's Garantano, whether that's Maurer, whether that's Harrison Bailey, whether that's J.T. Shrout, whatever. For next year, they got to be a lot better um, if they're going to uh, get anywhere close to they want to be. I, I think, for me, you know, when I look at that game um, and I watch it, you know, we we talked a little bit about this before the game. Bull momentum, not real. Let's let's please don't write about this. Please don't talk about this. The idea that mm. oh the Gator Bowl is gonna carry you into twenty twenty. Uh, this is not real. I tell you what is real: mental toughness and this team that has really thick skin. You know, I, I asked uh, Henry Toto after the game. You know, what was sort of the conversation on the sideline? You guys are down two touchdowns. You know, six minutes left or whatever. The offense is kind of going a little bit, but it's it's obviously not looking good. And so we've been through worse. And that, that, that kind of thing can pay off, the lumps of the last two seasons. Um, they've been through some pretty difficult times and some tough losses. And um, the combination of being able to understand how bad that feels, waking up the Sunday morning after the Georgia State game, and also living the life of digging themselves out of those holes. They did it against Kentucky. Uh, they did it again in the Gator Bowl. Uh, playing poorly digging a hole and, and being able to get out of it. This is a mentally tough team. I think they've proven that over the last month of the season. And I think when you talk about moving forward to, to 2020, like I said, the bull momentum is not real, but I think that mental toughness, they've got enough guys coming back from this team that I think that is something, the lessons from, from the Pruitt era in 2018 and 2019, that I think will pay off uh, in 2020 as they enter in with, with a pretty tough schedule. No, I agree. No question. You you have to be impressed with what they did, you know, season wide in terms of one and four to to how they finished up, and then within games too. I mean, a lot of these games late could have gone the other way. They weren't perfect. They weren't great. They weren't overwhelming anywhere other than I guess at times, you know, the receiving core. And you wrote about this in terms of you know the Indiana game in particular seeing a lot less man than probably they expected from Indiana, which I think was a good play by Indiana. But, um, but Tennessee, you know, was not a, uh, was not a dominant team anywhere, but was a really, really tough team when it came down to it. Mentally tough. And that is, of course, you're losing some guys who were a big part of that, but you're bringing back a lot of guys who were a part of it too. And some young guys who, you know, one thing when you talk to players, I think there's a lot of respect for, for some of these seniors, certainly, you know, like a Daniel Batuli, obviously Juwan Jennings brings a different element that they'll miss. I mean, you know, I think he still has that that fire that you just don't, don't see in a lot of people. 
players, people in any walk of life, and, and I think that that really was a big part of this for Tennessee. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of respect for those guys, but you also hear from the other guys like, man, there's some real dogs. You know, people use the word dogs a lot with these with these young guys in terms of both hunger, but also, you know, some really, really talented players. And mm-hmm. so I think when those guys are able to be on the field and go through this, kind of play for the seniors, you know, bounce back, do all they did, go through all they went through, and come out of the other end like this, that bodes well for the future, I think. Yeah, you know, I you mentioned it. I, I, uh, I'll i come back to the receivers in a second. But uh, I just think you, you look at this team from 2018, you look at when things went poorly, it just got worse. They were never able to, to um, dig themselves out or bounce back when a few things went against them. That's why they had, you know, what was it, six losses by more than 25 points because when things went bad, they – I wouldn't say folded, but they just didn't have the wherewithal to to not have a bad plays turn into more bad plays, um, and that is, I think, where you saw the biggest difference between last year uh, and this year. Uh, on those receivers, I think Tom Allen paid Tennessee's receiving core the highest compliment they could because ten- Indiana got out of who they are. Uh, you know, we ran the numbers at the Athletic. For those of you who did not subscribe, I would encourage you to subscribe. We wrote about a lot of things this week. Um, one of those things was Indiana played man defense uh, 68 to uh, almost 69% of uh, pass plays that they faced this year. And, and the day before the game, Tom Allen was talking a big game. That's who we are. That's what we're going to be. And then they played Tennessee, and they played man 44% of the time, uh, less than half. Uh, it worked, <laughs> to their credit. I think Garantano really struggled to make decisions. Um, he, he made some, some pretty questionable throws. Um, but I think it speaks to Tennessee's uh, receiver group that they knew that those one-on-one battles, Tennessee has made a habit, Marquez Callaway, Juwan Jennings, even Josh Palmer, of winning those battles uh, when teams try to play them uh, man up. And, and they may have a chance to do that again next year. I, I think, you know, Palmer coming back, I, I think he's more than capable of being a number one receiver. We saw some flashes out of Ramel Keaton. Don't forget Brandon Johnson, who redshirted this year, coming back for his senior year next year. I think a smart move by him, a, a savvy move from the coaching staff. Um, but uh, that was pretty interesting um, to me. I, I think I don't think uh, you know I'm not great at analyzing coverages live. I think that's uh, why I write about the games. I don't commentate on them. But rewatching it, it was very very obvious to me um, how different Indiana was um, than than what we saw, sort of thought they would be. Uh, coming into that game, uh, Joe. Switching uh, sports, we got to hit on some hoops. Uh, the Uruguayan sensation, uh, Santiago Vescovi. Um, what did you make of his debut? An interesting situation. Tennessee has already had some some intrigue with uh, new players. Obviously, Juraj Plavšić, uh, a months long uh, deal. He a couple of days before the season, he is ruled ineligible. But Vescovi, a mid season addition. Uh, could not come at a better time. The point guard spent the last uh, few months, uh, almost most of the last year, in, in Australia um, at the uh, NBA Global Academy. Comes in, Tennessee basically has no point guard. They have to start this 18-year-old kid. Uh, up and down, we'll call it against LSU, 18 points to leading score, hits six threes, but nine turnovers as well. What, what what do you make of, of not only his debut, but sort of the situation that he walks into and, and what they need from him moving forward? 
Well, first of all, to me, it, it brightens the prospects for this team. Um, they badly needed something for this offense. You, know, you lose Lamonte Turner, and he wasn't shooting well, which was a problem. But I mean, that's I mean, it was you know Turner and Bowden. This team was going to be relying on them on both ends of the floor a lot, and so you lose one of those two pieces, and that's you know it's just a killer loss. And Viscovi, I. As a shooter, you see he, he's a he's a good shooter. As a pick and roll point guard, he, I thought he did some fabulous things. Uh, he's you know, he had a little drop off for a dunk. I think to Pons that was, you know, a special play. He is offensively absolutely going to make a big difference. Now LSU turned turned him over a lot. He made some mistakes. That is that's the most athletic team in the SEC. And ultimately, that's why LSU won that game. A lot of it offensive rebounding and just, you know, they eventually just sort of out-talented Tennessee and, and took advantage of him at times. And he's got to clean that up. The one thing that I, I would say is a concern, and if you're going to compare him to Turner, you know, Turner is one of the best defensive guards in the country, certainly in the SEC. Vescovi, first game, some concerns about him as a defender. Uh, and so I think, you know, Tennessee is going to have to help him a little bit more uh, this is, you know, that's where you're really changing a lot is going from a guy you can just say, go take their best player to, you know, a freshman who right now, you know, does not look like he's close to that level as a defender. So that's, um, that's the thing that's, you know, they're going to have to adjust to on that end. But offensively, massive addition. And it's going to be fun to watch, you know, how this all comes together. Um, but, you know, they're going to need, look, I mean, Jordan Bowden, if he just has, a so-so day against LSU, they might win that game. And right now, I mean, he's really, really struggling. He, he can't hit anything. He's getting good shots. They're just not going down. That has to change. But I think Vescovi should be able to take a little bit of pressure off him that way, get him good shots. And then, you know, of course, you know, they've got to get other people going as well. Um, you know, it, it's still going to be a limited playing group, but, but, this is, you know, this gives them a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's wild that he gets off a plane, is eligible a few days later, <laughs> and then they ask him to play 34 minutes the first game. They were all wowed by his, his basketball IQ. Uh, I think you saw some of that, uh, especially in the pick-and-roll game, um, being able to make those quick reads. I just think, you know, could he be the savior of this team? Maybe. But I was always, I was kind of worried the way people were talking about him coming in. Uh, don't put that on him. Don't put those expectations on him. Maybe he's that guy, but I think he may be a guy that, that, that that's, you know, still going to learn. You know, he knocked down some shots, um, but, you know, if he doesn't knock down shots, if he's, you know, if he hits two threes and he has uh, six points and nine turnovers, maybe that conversation around him is a little bit different. So I, I hope fans uh, don't put unrealistic expectations on him. Obviously, a, a very good debut, a guy that can can definitely help you. But they did not want him to have to do this. They wanted to ease him in. You know, if Lamonte Turner is healthy and playing, the Scobie probably plays what 15 minutes against LSU, not 34. Um, and and I think they wanted him to be, you know, a guy that could spell Turner. Maybe they play him with Turner a little bit, but. To ask him to come in and play, be your point guard, live there for 34 minutes, and that's probably what he's going to have to do more often than not, maybe every game. You know, it's, uh, man, I just cannot imagine a higher degree of difficulty for a guy. So I hope fans 
chill out a little bit on him and and uh you know if he has a couple bad games they they understand that degree of difficulty well big picture though you know tennessee uh to mizzou this week they'll play them tuesday night what have you made of their struggles they're middle of december they're seven and one some quality wins uh against washington their only loss coming to uh, florida state on a neutral court since then obviously lost four or five what have you made of the struggles especially especially offensively yeah, well, they are they're real, and uh, you know you saw the Memphis game, and then the, the Wisconsin game certainly was kind of a grim look at uh, what might be ahead for this team. You know, I think Viscovi again, I think it changes the outlook. But the bottom line is, you're talking about taking two guys, Turner and Bowden, who have been tremendous support players, and saying, okay, now you are you you know it starts with you. Yeah, I think with Turner, it's a little different because he has always been a big shot maker for this team. Even with those great teams in the last two teams, he's a guy they still look to for big shots. But then he's also transitioning now to taking over the team, running the team with Jordan Bone gone, and still being the you know the, the top defender. And then also you have the shoulder thing, and that's a lot. With Bowden, I mean, clearly it just has not, it has not gone well for him making that transition. The big thing for Tennessee is you have two other guys who were, you know, really lower rung role players who I think have stepped up tremendously. I mean, Eve Pons has just been, he is on his way, I think, to being a special player. Uh, they've got to continue to go to him in different parts of the floor and, and hope he can still stretch the floor and hit those shots. If he hits, can hit that three ball, you know, that opens up the floor a lot. But he has really, he's better than I ever would have guessed he would be this year. And obviously John Fulkerson, I mean, he just does everything he can do down there. And they needed more help for him and didn't get it this year. And so it's largely on him. But you have to appreciate what he's doing um, to make a difference down there. They just, uh, you know, they need to... Again, I think Pons is a key, uh, featuring him and and uh, you know helping everyone else because he is a bigger threat and try to get some interior scoring from Fulkerson. I mean, he's better as a you know as a guy who runs the floor in transition, gets offensive rebounds, things like that. He's not like a back to the basket guy who's going to dominate a game, but he's got some nice moves down there. I mean, they, they've been so geared toward they they were able to just throw the ball in the post for the last three years and just know they were going to at least get to the line, you know, with Grant Williams. And so now you switch to, you've really got to be better in the perimeter. you gotta, you got to focus on the perimeter more. Uh, the pick and roll is, is a, you know, just like everyone, but it's a huge part of what you're doing. And it's just a big transition from, from last year to this year. So I still think this can be an NCAA team. You know, they have to play – Great defense. They're not going to be in a lot of 82-78 games. They're going to have to be more sound defensively, not turn the ball over, and, again, hope that Vescovi can grow with everyone else and, and make them more fluid offensively. Yeah, when you just don't when you don't have that front court scoring like you had last year, you know, a little bit of Schofield inside, but when they had some droughts, I mean, the answer was pretty obvious every time. Hey, Grant Williams, take the ball on the block turn around, hit a contested 12-footer, and uh, thanks, and let's go to the other side with two more points. You know, I think that's that was sort of what they did, and they just don't have that now. And, you know, they thought they might have something similar to that with Plavsic, who's got really nice touch and, and could give them that. But, 
you know, when your scoring is is basically only coming from uh, from the backcourt, uh, you know, Pons can can muscle up a little bit inside, but you know, he's not a guy with a ton of post moves in his repertoire, and and he's uh, you know his his leaps as a, as a scorer have come as a shooter this year, so. They're just going to, you know, like you said, it's, it's an adjustment. Um, can they get better? You know, I think this will be an improved team by the end of the year. Um, you know, NCAA, we'll see. I, I think they're going to be in a ton of close games. Um, and and uh, can you can you get the ball to bounce your way? Um, more often than not, you know, time will tell. Uh, Joe, returning from Jacksonville, uh, now that we get to the featured part of the show, man, a good, uh, uh, I was I was not that excited about my food week in Jacksonville going in. I had done some research. I was uh, there was nothing that I was like dying for. On our last week's show, in the middle of that week, we I hit on the the French toast, the uh, the seafood that I had had. It was it was very good. Um, but I uh, I took a trip uh, to the Asian continent, uh, latter parts of the week, and uh, Joe, it was it was wonderful. It was it was fantastic. I think I referenced a couple things to you, uh, but Hawker's Street Fair, Asian small plates. Joe, why is there not more Asian small plates places in the world? There should be. That's a great question. Uh, I love them. All, I've never. Yeah, it's all, it's all it's all like it's all like Central America, the tapas. That's like all you see when they small plates. Yeah. No. I. Hey. I mean, honestly, it's a good question. I've never been unhappy. At a place like that, and um, <laughs> I'll go in on one with you if you want. <laughs> PFL, the restaurant. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I, I ended up at Hawker's. Uh, there's a couple locations, but uh, I went big. I had uh, some seared duck with onions and hoisin sauce, a, a beef bulgogi skewer, some golden wontons with uh, crab and shrimp, and then, of course, some, some pork belly uh, with the hoisin. Ah, oh, man, that was one of the best meals I've had. Maybe in uh, maybe in, in all of 2020, uh, Joe. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was uh, uh, a strong uh, a strong way to start the, the year. Um, but then, secondly, uh, what is your relationship with Korean fried chicken? Well, it's uh, I had a lot of it. Um, now I, I was in Pyeongchang for the Olympics for Gannett, and so. You know, for three weeks, there were definitely days I would say I ate it more than once. There were probably a few days I didn't eat it, but uh, I bet you I ate it. And different. I mean, believe me, there are a lot of different places too, just in that little area where we were. And I tried to hit them all, and it was really, really good and unique. I'd never had anything quite like it. You know, I the first time I had, it, I said I, this stuff needs to be in Nashville, and let's because this is spicy. It, it is, yeah. you know, it's got some heat to it, but it's a like a sticky sweet kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the places, um, I loved it, just loved it. So uh, I, I actually miss it, and now I've got a place that that you told me about that I've got to check out. <laughs> well, so there is right near um, Tennessee's where they practiced all week. There is a place that is a, a small chain, uh, Bonchon, and uh, they specialize in Korean fried ch- uh, fried chicken. The, the soy ginger sauce is sort of the go-to, and there was this, they had one in Dallas. My wife and I went there frequently, probably more frequent than she would have uh, liked, but <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was wonderful, and then it went out of business, and I was very, very sad, and uh, there was another place in Dallas that served it, so I kind of still able to get my fix. 
but there is not one in Knoxville. And so I can't remember. I think I was going to the PGA Superstore or something along those lines near where Tennessee was practicing, and I stumbled across a Bonchon location. Now, I will say I stopped at one in Berkeley when I was out uh, in the West Coast doing that uh, Henry Toto story last spring. I stopped in there. It did not match up to what I remembered in Dallas. I was very sad. But this was a new location uh, out in Jacksonville. And, man, the skin being fried, the flavor, the perfect amount of sauce, a little cup of steamed rice on the side, it brought me back. And, man, I love that place. It is a, uh, like I said, a small chain. They kind of sort of see themselves as like a kind of an Asian sports bar sort of situation. Another great idea that that should be uh, uh, more popular than it is. But uh, it was great to to be able to get that uh, back in the game. Uh, And then, courtesy of multiple people, the Bearded Pig uh, Barbecue near downtown Jacksonville. Two trips, Joe. I made two trips uh, Mm. to to that spot. The second time, I was very sad, again, because the Tennessee band was staying within walking distance, and they arrived shortly before I did. And so the, first, <laughs> the first day I went there, the line was three people, and I had made up my mind I'm going to make a return trip before I leave Jacksonville. The second time I went, the line was about 30 people outside the door, and uh, it was still worth it. I uh, I tweeted this, and some Tennessee fans got frustrated with me, but I said, when you order brisket, and somebody asks you whether you want fatty, lean, or combined, that means they know what they're doing. And I have not been asked that question anywhere in the state of Tennessee uh, at any establishment, but just about everywhere, everywhere in Texas will ask you. And that, when they asked me that, I, all the signs were there. I figured it was going to be good. I'd seen, the, I'd seen the other plates as I was waiting in line. I was confident. But when they asked me that, I smiled because I knew this was going to be good, and it, and it very much was. So what's the answer? I mean, my answer would be fatty every time. Well, I mean, I think you can defend all of them, ultimately. I, I personally go combined. But depending on okay. your personal preference, I mean, they're all good. Uh, I, I think some places – I mean, you just – you have to know where you're at. Uh, in Texas, it would vary based on where you go. So if you're going to um, – what's the place? I'm forgetting the name of the place. Uh, uh, well, regardless, there's a couple places in Texas where you might want to lean on fatty. Um, but sometimes, some places the fatty is too fatty. Some places the lean is a little bit dry. I generally try to stay in the middle – um, that's where I went with Bearded Pig. It was it was that was a good place to be, um, but it sort of depends on the place. Ultimately, some places do some better than others, and that's sort of what the the answer is. That there is no wrong answer, I suppose. Okay, I'm always going fatty, uh, <laughs> but, but I hear you. To me, lean like, like you said, lean equals dry in my mind. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's a uh, I'm sure a, a good enough place. It's all going to be good. I will tell you, I, I got uh, seafood paella in Providence at Hemingway's, which I think was just a local place there. I know, you know, sometimes you think it is, and it's like, oh no, actually they have seventy-two locations in you know thirty-eight states. Uh, but Hemingway's, not Hemingway's, with one M E N Ways, seafood paella with some Titans media people before the Titans Patriots game, and the clams were incredible. So that's my one food contribution to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, the Charlotte Airport uh, may be my least favorite because uh, I'm not a huge fan of running marathons in between flights. I don't love that. Uh, <laughs> but what it lacks in um, logistical efficiency, it possesses in food. My flight got delayed coming back, so I got stuck in Charlotte for a few extra hours. 
But man, the Shake Shack Pinkberry one-two punch, if you're going to have to eat at airport chains, I, I'm not sure there's a better uh, airport uh, back-to-back uh, in America uh, if you're talking about having to settle for airport chains. That Shake Shack Pinkberry combo, I, I, I was delighted to have to, uh, to, have to eat that. That, was, that, made, that, that made my uh, delay seem like nothing. I uh, enjoyed that uh, very, very much. That sounds good. I've been there. I've never had that. So I've got I think to, it's I've new. to remember to take notes. Okay. <laughs> I think I think it's a new wing. I, I forget, but uh, uh, it did make my my delay uh, a little bit better. But I was glad to uh, to get back in town. Uh, so Joe, that will do it for this week's uh, food heavy episode. Uh, but a, a delicious episode. We apologize for making all of you hungry. Please start an Asian small plates restaurant somewhere between or in Knoxville and Jacksonville. I'll be there. I know Joe will be there if you do that. Uh, but again, that will do it for this week's episode of PFL. For Joe Rexrode, I am David Oven. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, uh, listen to us wherever you can. But all those things uh, only make the show stronger. So thanks again. We'll see you guys again very, very soon.